0: Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled, Conversation on Authority, was given by Darren Roundson and is the last in our series, Who We Are, Defining Community Through the Ten Commandments. We're not starting a series yet. We're going to start in a couple of weeks. Uh, I just wanted to bring you up to speed and have a conversation this morning about uh, some things that have been going on in my life and just the journey of faith and, and hopefully just start us on... Um, a process of just having more of these types of conversations. But to, to begin, I, I heard a story of, of this ancient Chinese master. And uh, he, he lost his key to his house. And maybe some of you have heard this story, but he starts looking for his key on the deck, and then he's on his lawn. And he's just bent over, um, looking through the grass, trying to find his key. And one of his disciples comes up to him and says, what are you doing? And he says, I lost my key to the house. And he says, okay, and he starts getting on his knees, he starts looking for this key, and then other disciples come, and they start looking for this key, and, then, and finally they're out there for hours in the heat of the day looking for this key, and they can't find it, and finally one of the disciples is fed up, and he says, well, well Master, where did you last have your key? Where did you lose it? And he said, well, inside. And he said, well, why are you looking out here? And he says, well, it's, it's, there's more light outside. I was a water polo player in high school, believe it or not. And uh, I, I, we had this tournament coming up. And, and it was the big tournament. It was my freshman year. It was my first big tournament. And I remember uh, we were prepping and training for, for, for weeks at a time. And our, our training was we'd get to school at 5.30 AM to the pool. And we'd practice for two hours before school started. And then after school at 2.30, we'd practice for three more hours. That was the normal schedule. And then we added some time on that for this, for this tournament. And uh, so we, we, were, we were amping ourselves up, we are psychologically ready, we are practicing, we are doing all of these things. And then the, the Saturday came for the day of the tournament, we were going to compete in all these different events. And uh, we, get, we get up early, we go to breakfast, and we go to this place um, where the tournament's held. And yeah, the tournament's there, but it's the girl tournament. We showed up for the wrong tournament. All this preparation, all this hard work, all this effort, doing the right thing, we missed it. And so we got disqualified because we didn't make it to their guide tournament, or it was scheduled at another time. But I, I, I had a conversation uh, two weeks ago, last week, with a pastor in Long Beach, and he was, he's, he's led a ministry here for about 40 years. Their church is old, and it saw um, thousands of people come to faith, um, and it's, it's been around for 100 years. And I'm talking to this pastor about ministry, and he's explaining how he has about maybe 40 people that show up to their church between a couple different congregations, different languages. Um, And and he says to me, you know, uh, they they have a facility that fits about a thousand people, and 40 people go to this church. And he says to me, Darren, you know, I think this church can grow as it is if we just get the right programs. If we can just do the right things, people will come into the church. If we just have the right children's ministry, if we just have the right um, Bible studies, if we just if we dial in our, our, our lines of buffet. And, 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 you know, I love this guy. He's got an amazing heart. His heart is for the kingdom of God. But he just, he just I think maybe once upon a time, that would have worked. But I've seen in my young life... Uh, and being in church, I've seen churches spend all their energy, all their resources, all their time and effort getting people to seats, getting people into the building so that they can grow and they can do their things. And there's nothing wrong with big churches. We want, we want to have lots of mega churches. We want, people, we want millions of people to come to faith. But what I think we've done, and I'll speak for all of us that's been in the church, is I think we've been hitting the bullseye on the wrong target. I think as churches, we've hit the bullseye for far too long on the wrong target. And I I just want you to know a little bit about me as I lead this church with a team of of a lot of leaders. We have an an elder team of of like 14 people. We have an executive team that makes business and finance decisions of six people. We have a a support team of people that lead ministries that's like 20-something people apart from those people. I mean, we have a great leadership here. But as I started this church... As we, as we started this church, we, we always brought to question, what does scripture say about church? What does the Bible speak of when it talks about what we do, how we live? And so every time I, I, I begin to make decisions, our, 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 our community of leaders make decisions as what, we, what we're going to do as a church, we always want to go through the lens of scripture we always want to look through the text and say, well, well, let's try to breathe out what that means contextually. So as we form an elder board, what does the Bible teach? What does it say in Titus and Timothy and Peter? There's so many different perspectives. Jerusalem had a different form of, of eldership than, Cor- than Corinth and, and, and all these different perspectives. And how do we, how do we look through Scripture and, and breathe life into our context? And so as a leader, I always, want to, I always want to look at the text of Scripture and say, how do we, how do we become a biblically-based community? And as I look at churches across the board, as, I, as, I, as we grow as a church, um, programs are good. Got, we want to have an amazing children ministry. We're actually working towards that. This facility probably will not be the facility we're in long term. We're looking at other places because we want to impact families. We want to have generational impact. And so that means kids sh- probably shouldn't be hanging out in bars, you know? <laughs> so we're getting there, guys, for the kids, that, the parents here. Trust us, we're working on it. Pray for us. There's some great opportunities, some um, <laughs> miracles. You'd be like, that's, that's impossible. How, how are you going to do that? And it might happen, because God. But as, a, as we discern what, what does it mean to be a church, well, I just want to say that, briefly before we get into our, our conversation, the church primarily is made up of these things. Number one, it's a covenantal community. We, you have to have people to be a church. It's a covenantal community, and that means that we belong to each other. We are centered around, not each other, but around Jesus. We exist for a purpose. We move. It's like we're on a journey together. That's what it means to be in covenant. And we're committed to one another. And when we commit to one another with Jesus at the center, we, and we have an authentic God encounter, that causes us to worship. Number one is covenantal community. Number two is worship. The church is about worship. And it's about Romans 12 where everything we do becomes offering our lives back to God. And that's worship. But it's also about singing together. Because singing on Sunday is a culturally subversive activity. Singing on Sunday is a culturally subversive activity. What does that mean? That simply means when we come together and our voices are one. Some of us hate singing. That's okay. That's okay. You have permission to not like singing. But when we sing together, we're saying to an individualistic society, no, 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 we are one, as He is one. So we worship with finances, we worship with everything our whole lives. We also want to participate as the church in what Jesus says. He says, "Um, I've given you all the authority, I have all the authority. Go now into the world, disciple the nations, basically. So we're, we're about discipleship. We want to become more like Jesus as individuals. That's three. And the fourth thing is we're about His mission. We want to participate in what God's doing in the city, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, at home, with our spouses. God has a mission for us, and we participate in it. So there's four things that the church is about. It's about worship, it's about mission, it's about discipleship, and it's about belonging to one another. That's it. We can do that anywhere. Another conversation that we talk about on, a, on, a, on another level is uh, the role of the Holy Spirit. And we keep kind of talking here and there about this kind of unknown God. Because if, if, for a lot of you, whenever I'm up here and I call people forward or we, we pray for healing or we talk about the Holy Spirit, some of you have this perspective where you've been harmed. You've been in churches that have abused kind of the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit, where you haven't seen it done in a way that makes sense biblically, where you see people praying over cloths of napkins that they're selling on TV or whatever. And I'm not bashing anything, but I just want to say that there has to be a healthy middle where there's the role of the Holy Spirit infused and breathing life into the church, married to the Scripture, it's the quest for the radical middle, as some, some scholars have said, or John, John Wimber back in the Vineyard Movement. But for me, I grew up where the, the Holy Spirit, I just never heard about it. I, I grew up in a great church, and we never really talked about the Holy Spirit. We'd pray for each other, but it was never in this prayer of effective, let's actually, maybe let's pray for healing. I grew up and and then I I left the faith and I came back to the faith and and I grew up, as I I kind of studied Calvinism and I studied dispensationalism and cessationist and I just realized maybe that the Spirit wasn't for today and then I I go to Scripture and I I realize actually that can't be true and I look at history and I say that can't be true and I look at examples around the world and I say that can't be true just because it's not my experience doesn't mean it's not for us today And so I came to the assumption and the theological quest to say, okay, the Spirit is for today. The the Corinthians talks about it. Jesus talks about it. The whole New Testament is full of it. Acts just reveals this crazy thing. It's got to be for today. Even though I didn't experience it. Even though I didn't even know what that meant, really. In fact, I thought it was so weird (laughs) I still think it's weird. I I think when the Holy Spirit comes sometimes, it's so strange. I mean, look at Acts chapter 2. Freaking tongues of fire come down. That's pretty weird. Could you imagine if just these floating tongues of fire came and just sat on all of us and we saw it? That would be weird. (laughs) But we get weirded out when someone says, hey, let's pray for your broken back. We get get freaked out when something doesn't go our right way or when, when someone starts poking and starts praying in a way that has maybe a lot of passion and tears and, and we just wanna, we don't want to sing those songs. And so this morning, I wanted to just talk about what we're going to talk about <laughs> for the next year. We're going to start, a, or I don't know how long it's going to take, we're going to go through the book of Mark. And we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about the Messiah. We're going to talk about this crazy man who's fully human and fully God, known as Jesus, the Son of God. We're going to talk about the ministry that He has and what that means for us today. And what I wanted to do is just present to you something. I'm not trying to argue anything. I'm trying to gently invite you to look at Scripture and journey with me for the next year or however long it takes to say, what would it look like for us to commit to each other, to commit to the truth of Scripture and say, why not? Let's risk it. Let's risk being vulnerable. This morning, we're praying this morning, and we felt that maybe some people needed prayer, and it was a risky thing, and people stood up and we prayed for them. Let's risk that, so we can be empowered by the Holy Spirit as a church. Sound good? Yeah. I know some of you have been waiting for this, and we've been talking about it, and I'm, I'm excited. Uh, grab a Bible. If you don't have one, raise your hand. I think we have some Bibles around the room. Otherwise, it will go on the screen. We're going to read a... a, Basically, I'm just going to read a ton of Scripture. Starting... uh, Let me just introduce this. So, Jesus... (laughs) Jesus begins the message in Mark. And we're not starting the series yet. So this is just a bunch of conversations. I want to save the good stuff for later. Um, Jesus... His message, according to Mark, was that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. The reign or the rule of God is present at this moment. Believe in it. Repent, which is this. come on board with this new reality. Align yourself to this new political, social, economic, spiritual reality. That his presence is here. That his kingdom is here. And then what does Jesus do every single time he preaches this? He demonstrates That message. Jesus goes throughout the gospel, preaching the kingdom and demonstrating the kingdom. The kingdom breaks in. God's reign breaks in through Jesus' life. In the gospel of Mark, though, it's so funny because one of the themes of the book of Mark is something called irony. Do you know what that is? Mark, Mark tells these funny stories. Um, and, and it's brilliant the way it's written, but, but the disciples, they have no clue who Jesus is until chapter 8 of Mark. So, chapter 1 begins. Jesus selects his disciples and he starts healing people. He preaches the message, he, he, he calms storms, he feeds 5,000 people. Demons are running up to him and saying, You're the son of the, uh, son of the most high God. And Jesus says, Shut up, don't tell anyone. And demons come out, and these people are confused by his authority. But his disciples have no clue. In fact, they watch him calm the storms, and they're like, Who is this guy that calms the storms, that the seas and the winds obey him? And guess what? That's Mark 4. In Mark chapter 5, guess what? Jesus is greeted, not by one demon, but by a thousand demons. And the demon's screaming, I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. Mark 4, who is this guy? Mark 5, I know who you are. You're the son of the Most High God. And the irony of Mark is that his disciples have no clue. Yet, so if if Mark chapter 8 is when the disciples finally get it, and what that is, is Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah. What's so weird about about Mark chapter 6? Go to Mark 6. I find this just to be compelling. Mark 8, they finally believe in Jesus. You're the the Christ, you're the Messiah. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. But Mark 6, verse 6. Says this, then he went about among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. He gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for themselves um, except a the staff no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. And then go to verse twelve. So they went out and proclaimed all should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed oil, um, anointed w- with oil, many who were sick and cured them. So this, the disciples just obey their rabbi. They they say, "Hey, we're going to do this." They go out, they preach the message, they tell people to repent, they they cast out demons and they heal people, but they still don't know who Jesus is. This will make more sense when we talk about it. Now it's also funny because Jesus is or, or Mark's gospel is kind of comparing uh, two types of disciples in this very passage. Mark 6, the description that, that, uh, that Mark gives us is that he sends them out two by two, tells them not to take anything with them, not a belt, not a bag, no, no, um, no second tunic, and just wear sandals. Now, before Jesus has disciples, there was a group of, of, of wandering philosophers. And these wandering philosophers were Greek philosophers. And they would go around to villages in the first century, villages that these disciples would have visited and these wandering philosophers wouldn't bring a bag, wouldn't bring money, wouldn't bring a belt, or we would wear a belt, but wouldn't bring a second tunic. And they would beg for money. And what they would do is they would show up the villages and they would, they would preach their messages. They were brilliant, articulate um, philosophers. And they were t- their, their message was primarily negative. It was primarily, hey, the world is going to hell. Don't pay attention to it. The rich are, are condemned. And guess what their names were? Their names were the cynics. And they got their name from, um, from the villagers because of the word scion. And the word scion in Greek comes from the word dog. It means dog in Greek. Because these cynics, these disciples, these wandering philosophers, would preach these messages and beg for money, and they were like vermin in these towns. And Jesus sends out his disciples with the same commandments that these cynics followed in. But what separated them? What separated these wandering philosophers and the disciples of Jesus? They, they brought a message of the kingdom, which, which might have been hopeful. Absolutely, it is hopeful. It's challenging, much like the cynics would have challenged them to repent. The cynics couldn't cast out demons, the cynics couldn't heal the sick, the cynics had no authority. The disciples have authority, and I want to talk about that this morning. Um, go to Matthew chapter 4. And you're gonna to have to keep up with me. Matthew four, verse twenty-three. Authority is the right or the power to give orders, to make decisions, to enforce obedience, or the power to influence. Matthew four, twenty-three. I just want to look at the authority Jesus has, and then we'll we'll talk about that, and then we'll we'll land um, after that. Jesus. Went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them all. Flip over to Matthew 8, verse 1. And maybe, you know, if, you're, if you want to journey with us on this quest, why don't you highlight these so you can go back to them and just look at what Jesus does. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, he was cured from his leprosy. Uh, Go to verse 5 of chapter 8. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself... I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to his following, uh, those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Verse 13, Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believe it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. So, these couple of scriptures reveal that Jesus has the authority to heal. Would you agree? According to scripture, Jesus has the authority to heal lepers. He has the authority to, um, uh, to, to heal uh, those that are paralyzed, those with seizures, those with diseases. Um, he preaches the message and He heals them. And this, this last uh, instance in, in, is about a centurion where this guy's walking on the road and the centurion soldier says, Hey, I know what authority is like. I can just say to this guy, go, and he goes. Why can't you just say to the disease, be gone, basically? And Jesus is astonished. He says, this is faith. Because apparently he gets something about the power and authority that Jesus has over the cosmos. And it happens. He doesn't even visit this guy and he's healed. Go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Verse 21 They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. Um, the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. I, thought that's, I think that's funny. Um, just then, a man in their synagogue was possessed by an evil spirit, and he cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. Uh, A better translation would be shut up. Um, Come out of him. One actually, one scholar says shut the hell up is kind of what he says. And that's funny um, because he's a demon. Uh, (laughs) Maybe that's just funny to me. Okay. Um, The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all amazed and asked to each other, what is this, a new teaching with authority? And he he even gives orders to the evil spirits and they obey him. So Jesus, in Mark chapter 1, this is a different account of the gospel of Jesus. Same gospel, a different account of the life of Jesus. Mark says that he has authority to cast out demons. Go to Mark chapter 2, verse 1. I'm just trying to get you all the gospels so you know it's not isolated. Mark one, uh, Mark two, verse one. A few days later, when Jesus came and entered Capernaum, a lot happens in Capernaum. Apparently, the people heard that he had come home, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic, carried by the four of them. Since they could not get to him, Jesus. Uh, they could not get to him to Jesus. Wait, sorry. Since they could not get to him, to Jesus, that's weird, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat, and, and the paralyzed man was lying on. Lowered the mat that the paralyzed man was lying on. I printed this out on Bible, uh, Bible Gateway, I'm sorry. There's like all these A's and B's here. Um, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins, but God alone? Only God can judge is what they're saying. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit what this uh, uh, knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, "Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, "Your sins are forgiven," or to say, "Get up your mat and walk." but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins." He says to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in, view, in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone and they praised God. According to Mark chapter 2, Jesus has authority to judge. Jesus has authority to forgive sins on earth. Where would you find the forgiveness of sins in the first century? Only God. And where did God reside? In the temple. Priests offering sacrifices were the only people that could forgive sins. And Jesus is saying, I have the authority. I'm the new temple. It's powerful language. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. A couple of more. A couple more. Luke chapter 8. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 20. I'm sorry, no, 22. 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they go, got into the boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm, storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the waters, and they obey Him. Jesus has authority over the earth. He has authority to calm storms, to say to this cloud, Stop. Now, do you think that's a lot of power? Do you know who else was supposed to have that power in Scripture? Adam. Do you know this? That it was supposed to be easy for Adam to, to work on the land. That scholars, some scholars believe that what Jesus is doing in this very passage is reclaiming the right that Adam had over the earth. Jesus has the authority over the earth. Um, John chapter 5, verse 22. This is the last one. I want to get last one until I do more. Or <laughs> reading the word of God. Some of you love it. Yeah, come on. Come on. Who likes the word? Yeah. All right. Speaking of the Word, a quick side note, John 5, go there. Starting on September 12th, we're starting a theology class once a month after this service. Bill Doctrine will be teaching theology course through, through the next year, and we're going to do the first one on Old Testament. We're going to give a survey of the Old Testament for, I think, two and a half hours. So starting September 12th, we want to get rich into the Word. We want to get rich into the Bible. We're going to do some theology classes. It's going to be awesome. So you can count on that at, I think, 1 o'clock. Um, September 12th, John chapter 5 verse 20. For the Father loves his son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives uh, gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he pleases. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Father. So again, John's saying that uh, apparently Jesus has the authority to judge. Later in John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Apparently, Jesus has authority over death. And obviously, he was resurrected from the dead, but he does it in his ministry. Now, what do what did we just sum up? Jesus' ministry of the kingdom of God reveals that he has authority. He's baptized and he comes, the Holy Spirit descends on him, and he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he has authority over demons. He has authority over sickness and illness and per- paralysis, leprosy. He has authority over death. He has authority over the earth and creation. He has authority to forgive sins and to judge people. And he has authority to give his authority away. Go to Luke chapter 9. The next point I want to just read, or not point, but the next passage or section, I just want to reveal what Jesus does with his authority. Uh, When Jesus had, uh, chapter 9, verse 1, of Luke, if Mike Erie was here, he would say, Luke. I miss that guy. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them a. Power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Go to, uh, sick. go to verse 6. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere they went. Basically, Jesus says, I have the authority. I give it to you. Preach the gospel. Cast out the sick. Just like that. Yada, yada, yada. What, is, what do they do? They go to the villages. They preach the gospel. And they do all of those things. Uh, go to Luke chapter 10. That, that was the twelve. If you flip over, Luke 10, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 um, 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Verse 8, When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Verse 9, Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Matthew chapter 28. Go to Matthew 28. I didn't hear the flipping. Matthew 28. Come on. Did you guys give up? Come on. Matthew 28. You should all have this memorized. Matthew 28, verse uh, 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. This is after Jesus is resurrected. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then, Je- oh, that's so good. Let's stop for there. Stop right there. Some worshipped him, or um, they, they all worshipped him, but some doubted. For those of you that come here and come on Sunday and you worship, but you still doubt, you're okay. Amen. It's okay. The disciples who knew Jesus physically in the flesh. Also doubted let 's keep reading. Um, then Jesus came to them and said, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the ends of the earth." Jesus, in uh, the end of Luke, says that uh, to wait." Uh, I'm sorry, to go to Jerusalem in Acts, in the beginning of Acts, to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit, and you will be clothed with power from on high. John says that you will do greater things. Jesus says, you will do greater things than I have done as my disciples. He talks about his works, and and we see that in Acts chapter 2, God gives us the Holy Spirit, He gives us His power. People are are immediately starting to be healed by, by the regular disciples. Remember the potluck associates, if you remember the Acts conversation? Those that, had, that were potluck associates, they were administrators. They were doing miraculous signs and wonders to where the first martyr of the Christian faith is some guy that was just passing out food to the widows. Philip becomes a city evangelist and, and the city welcomes in and he, and he heals and he, and he casts out demons. He gets teleported and he baptizes an Ethiopian. I mean, there's so many things that are going on in the church. I mean, think about Acts chapter 5. It describes all these healings, all the signs and wonders and powers that's, that, that's happening by the church, by these guys who doubted. Acts chapter 5 says that people would line the streets so that Peter's shadow... Do you, have you read this? So that the shadow of Peter might pass over them, so that they would be healed. This is all it is, is scripture. And there are some beliefs out there that come pretty much from the last 300 years that will say, hey, the Spirit's not for today. It's, uh, Darby says this that it was during the apostolic time and it ended. Well, that's not true. Because there's, there's rich history. There's, there's stories um, from the early church fathers of, of miraculous things happening, of demons being cast out. All these things. We've seen it here. Practically, it's just this. I just wanted to let you know, in case you didn't know, Jesus has the authority over demons, over sickness, over, over uh, death, over earth, over the, to forgive sins. And he gives us his authority. If you say yes to Jesus Christ, you are given authority of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, this is part of our discipleship. This is what it means to become more like Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit, guys, is is gentleness, it's peace, kindness, love, all those things, self-control, patience. But the church is given this, 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 this third member of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, to move and operate, to, to bring signs and wonders, to, to heal people, because that's part of the message of the gospel. Jesus' message is one of wholeness. And we'll talk more about the now and not yet, and why, doesn't, why do some people get healed, and why don't others not get healed, and, and all of this stuff. But I just want to say the text reveals so much about who we are. Would you agree with me on this? practically, what does this mean for us? And and I'm not trying to to, uh, give you a a big breakdown of how we're going to operate in this, how we're going to try this stuff out. We're going to talk about all of this stuff. I can't tell you, I'm more excited about this than anything we've ever taught in the past. I really am. I feel like as a church, this is where we have to go. The city of Long Beach needs people filled with the Holy Spirit that can pray effectively It's not about putting people on a stage and making mockeries of things. It's about allowing the Holy Spirit to come in gentleness in ways that He can move. I mean, we we experience this at our prayer night. We experienced it on Sunday. I mean, there's a lot of inner healing going on. There's stuff happening in life groups. I mean, I I see it. I was in London, and I I meet a guy who's been a believer for two weeks, but he's introduced to this stuff, and he's telling me stories of people that he brought to faith because he he healed their broken leg, or God healed their broken leg through his prayer because he just doesn't know what else to do. He reads this, and he goes, All right, be healed. And the guy's healed. So... Scripture makes it clear. Jesus has authority. The reign of God, the rule of God comes in. It breaks into our lives. And what does it bring? It brings healing. It brings wholeness. It brings peace. It brings shalom, freedom. We have a world, and many of us, we live lives that are shattered, that are torn, that are heavy, are broken, full of pain, full of sickness, full of addictions, full of fear, oppression, injustice, and the good news should be good news. We're supposed to proclaim it, and we're also supposed to practice. And the church should be the the place where we learn about this stuff. And so I just want to apologize, because if you're like me, either the church has harmed you, because they, they said that you didn't have faith and that's why you weren't healed, or they make you feel uncomfortable for not raising your hands in worship. Not having the perfect voice and singing with tears in your eyes. And... Or they don't talk about it. We're supposed to be natural, supernatural. Naturally supernatural. And I think from a couple weeks ago I talked about this, but like I really sense that there's so much burden in our church and I feel like the only way... Um, That people will come to faith nowadays is by people pointing to themselves and saying, look at me. I don't have it all figured out, but I have a hope. And they know how to pray. So all of this is to say, as a church, we want to talk about it. We want to bring it out of the closet. Does that sound okay? We want to bring the conversation of healing, of of demons, of of the ministry of Jesus Christ, and everything that entails. It's so much more than just the signs and wonders. It's way more than that. Remember, it's about discipleship. That's why we spent so much time this last year teaching on discipleship, becoming more like Jesus. It doesn't just mean we become more like Him because we pray really well. That's not it at all. That's down the road. And so I feel like we're in a place where we just want to say, Holy Spirit's here, and we want to learn this stuff together. So here's what I want to ask of you. For those of you that when I talk about this, you, you just tense up. and You know who you are. You have this fear. You have maybe memories from the past of just weirdness. We don't, we don't want things to be weird, but we want God. And we want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so what that means is it means we have to be willing to risk together. So if you're afraid... Or if it's uncomfortable, I just want to say, would you commit to just allowing things to be rooted in Scripture and just, just learn from us? Because here's the thing. There's a story in C.S. Lewis's novels, um, The Lion, the Witch, and the R- Wardrobe, Chronicles of Narnia. And I think it's Pr- Prince Caspian, but I, maybe some of you know this story. But, but Lu- they're, they're on their way to, to... I forget the whole thing. Forgive me for bringing this up. But they're on their way to somewhere, the, 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 all the kids... And they're, they're, they think they're going to get lost and, and, and they come to a, the cliff and there's this, this waterfall and this water and they can't get across to where they need to cross. And Lucy says, Aslan, I see Aslan. And then he's gone. And, and they gather around and she's saying, no, I see Aslan, I saw him, I know it's him. And they begin to debate whether or not they should continue forward. Instead, they track back. Edmund says at one point, you know, last time I didn't listen to Lucy, I, I looked pretty foolish. And sure enough, they go the wrong way, and they ended up going back, and sure enough, Aslan's there. But some of us are here this morning, and, and we see it. We, 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 we've experienced the Holy Spirit. We've experienced this stuff. We've seen demons. Some of us have seen those things that the Christian church doesn't want to talk about. We've seen broken limbs get healed. I've been in India and seen some crazy stuff. All of us have our story. Some of us can see it, and some of us aren't really sure. And I guess the point this morning is this. Why don't we just hang around each other a little bit so that all of us can see? Does that sound okay? So I don't have a clear path and landing except this. Many of us are skeptics, we're doubtful, we're afraid, we're uncertain and we have these these prayer lives of timidity and i just want to encourage you paul says this to timothy for god did not give us a spirit of timidity but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline we're all in different places this morning and we're always going to come from different places and what i would like for us to do is just to be committed to each other to be committed to this time we worship together, we pray together, we give, give our offerings, we serve, some of us serve together. Would you come on Sundays just willing to venture whatever God wants to do? Because here's what I want to do as a church leader. I want us to be trained and to know when God really does show up and empowers the service and when he doesn't. Because guess what? It's okay if he doesn't come. I want to say this again. Churches have, have become masterful at blowing their windmakers makers. And Jesus says the Spirit's like wind. If you go to some of these churches, you know that if if God doesn't show up, it's still going to go the same way every single service. And I want to just say, let's not do that. Let's not be that type of community. Let's be willing to wait on the Lord together, to let five people get prayer here or one person get prayer for the sake of encouraging everyone. Let's be willing to stand if, if, if our hearts are right. Let's be willing to sit if it's contemplative. Let's just journey together and find the radical middle. It's going to take your commitment. It's not going to take the leaders doing this in the front. It's going to take us doing it together. So can I have your in, your buy-in? And maybe some of you, this is a turning point. Maybe it's not, the garden's not a safe place because you're afraid of this stuff. But I want to say, I think you're going to like and you're going to, you're going to love who we become through this. Cool? Awesome. Yes. I'm glad. This was a heavy, exciting message. So I'm going to invite the worship team up. Um, And, uh, you know, I think in the future we might change the way we do our liturgy, the way we structure the services, because personally I would love for every week for us to just come together and for those of us that um, need prayer, they could just come forward. And we can pray. We can lay hands and pray for one another. You can come up, Mick. I I was finished. So, in the mess of everything, Jesus has authority. His kingdom comes with power. He gives it to those who believe in Him. And if you've said yes to Jesus Christ, you've been given the access to the kingdom of God. To, to, to preach the gospel and to demonstrate the gospel. To say to the man on the street, pick up your mat and walk. We're going we're to talk about how, how you learn this stuff, how you develop that. Because... Because Jesus walks in the pool of Bethesda and into a pool of cripples and heals one person. Jesus walks to a graveyard and He, he resurrects one or he, he raises one person from the dead. So with power comes a lot of training and development. But I just want to say, let's talk about these things. Sound good? Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, I am excited. <sighs> I thank You, Lord, for Your Word and just allowing Your Word to speak that your scripture can convince or bring freedom and reveal the nature of who you are, that you've given us this rule of faith, the word. Thank you for it. And we, we just celebrate that you've given that to us. And thank you, Lord, for your spirit, that you didn't leave us as orphans, Lord, and I thank you for the diversity of this church, for the perspectives, for the gifts, for the uniqueness, the skills, the the personalities that that make the garden a bride, that we all are unique. Some of us have different parts to the body and we we function differently. And God, may may we be such a diverse community, completely unified as one. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are here this morning, that are excited, just God, just light the fires, give them faith, give them hope, bring leadership to them, bless them, Jesus. And for those that are nervous and uncertain and and maybe a little bit hesitant, God, would you just release any anxieties, release the fears, comfort them, and give them permission to be who they are. So Lord, we offer this to you, we offer this adventure to you, we pray that you bless us as we continue to worship in your name, amen. Thanks for listening If you'd like to hear other messages from the Garden Or would like to find out more about the Garden Church Check out our website at thegardenlb.org